0: We we adore you and we praise you. We thank you for this, for the words you've given us in this Bible. The words that give life, the words that give meaning to our existence. Lord, the, the words contained in this book are just so amazing. And we just thank you that you've given them, you've given that to us. Lord, today we ask that you help us to understand what greatness is. Help us to see what it is that you have to tell us when it comes to when it when it comes to just being being great in the kingdom of God and what are the, thing, and the things that we have to do, the sacrifices that we sometimes have to make in order to achieve that greatness, Lord. We give this time completely to you, Lord. Fill us, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to what you have to tell us this morning. May we not leave this room not, feeling, well, feeling empty, And may we come out of this room changed, Lord, radically changed. Use me to speak Your word, Lord. Lord, use me to speak Your truth. And I just honor, may I just honor You with everything that I say this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before I um, begin, I wanted to share this short story that relates to, to this morning's message. And the, the story is called The True Measure of Greatness. And the story goes like this. A young student once asked his old teacher, Teacher, what is the true measure of greatness? The teacher looked far away into the mountains and gave the following reply. Some measure greatness in height and weight but great people are never so tall as when they stop to talk to a child or, or bend their knees to help a hurting, hand, a hurting friend. Some measure greatness in physical strength, but great people are never so strong as when they shoulder the burden of the downtrodden stranger. Some measure greatness in terms of financial gain, but those who so- show generosity to their family and friends, they are the ones who are truly rich. Some measure greatness in applause and accolades, but those who seek opportunity to serve in the quiet places of the world are the ones who are truly rich. Some measure greatness, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. Some measure greatness in applause and accolades, but those who seek opportunity to serve in quiet places of the world, theirs is a higher reward. Some measure greatness in commitment to achieving in material ways, but those who spur others on to teach on to teach their goals is great indeed. Great people have vision and do not keep the truth to themselves. Great people have passion for life and not ashamed to show it. Great people expect the best from others and give the best of themselves. Great people know how to work and how to play, how to laugh and how to cry, how to give and how to receive, how to love and be loved. There are many people who are on this who are who are by this world called great. But those who bear honor in their hearts, who can, in the evening hours, lie upon their beds and peacefully close their eyes, knowing that they have done all that is within their power to live their lives fully and fruitfully, those are truly great people. This morning we're gonna be reading about Jesus' response. To an argument that arose between the disciples regarding who would be the greatest. Within that response, we'll see how Jesus taught them four secrets to greatness. What I hope you'll understand is that in God's view, greatness isn't about who you are, but rather how much you're willing to sacrifice in order to be great. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read the passage or read portions of the passage and explain what Jesus was, was talking about. So if you're there in your Bibles, again, um, page 558 in your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be begin, beginning in verse 33. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Then it came to Capernaum when he was in the house, when he was in the house he asked them what were you arguing about what were you arguing about on the way but they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who would be the greatest. Sitting down he called the twelve and said to them if anyone wants to be first he must be last of all and servant of all. He then took a child had him stand among them and taking him in his arms he said to them whoever welcomes whoever welcomes one little one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. As Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Capernaum, there was an argument, there's an argument that transpires between the disciples. They think Jesus isn't aware of it until they go into this house and Jesus asks, what are you arguing about on the way? Or what were you arguing about along the way? Apparently, the argument was centered around who among them would be great. Who like, yeah, they were walking to Capernaum and and amongst themselves, they were arguing, they were discussing, yeah, I'm greater than you. No, you're greater than this person. There was just a big argument about who who would be great. But when Jesus asked them this question, what were you arguing about? Notice how they stayed quiet. They decided not to say anything at all. So Jesus makes the most of this opportunity to sit and teach them an important lesson that he hopes will change their perspective on what they were arguing about. He does this by first calling them over and telling them if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He wanted them to know that if they truly want to be considered great, they must put others before themselves. In addition to that, he tells them that the greatest isn't looking to be served, but to be a servant of all. And then to further explain what he's telling them, he grabs a child, has him stand with the disciples, and then lifts them up and holds him in his arms and says in verse 37, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. He uses this child in his arms to illustrate the point that they must be willing to associate with anyone who may be considered unimportant to society. Now, during this time, children were seen and not heard. They were basically nothing in society. It wasn't until they, made it, they grew up, made a name for themselves, studied that maybe then will they be some attention would be paid to them but children were pretty much nothing in society back at during this time so again he was making important in a point that must be willing to associate with anyone who may be considered unimportant to society be it chronologically economically socially or even mentally and this is where we see the first secret to greatness the truly great person embraces them all in the name of Jesus. In our society today, power, prestige, influence, and honor depend upon who you know and how many people you're willing to step, step on to climb the ladder of greatness or to climb that ladder of success. We see, that, we see it in almost every fabric fabric of society, including business, politics, and even in religious institutions. If your goal and aim in life is to achieve greatness by making a name for yourselves, be aware that as a Christian, this mindset doesn't fly with Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about putting others ahead of yourselves, regardless of their status in society. The goal and aim of every Christian believer is a selfless attitude. St. Francis of Assisi said this, above all, the grace and gifts that Christ gives to his beloved is that of overcoming self. And Paul wrote this regarding selflessness. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Than yourselves. Everyone should look, not, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. If your focus is on the eternal glory that awaits every believer, then don't concern yourself with making a name for yourself here and now. Live selflessly by serving others with love and acceptance, regardless of their social status. Now we all know that there's people out there that have been rejected by society. They're known to be the social outcasts, even amongst the church. But we must be willing to associate with such people. Jesus wasn't afraid to associate with the lepers, to touch them, to heal them, because they were hurting people as well. They needed needed that love. They needed that embrace. And so we too must have that same attitude. We must have that same mentality. Not to be afraid to associate or even talk to, even share, pray with those people that have been rejected by society, those people have been rejected by maybe other religious institutions. They need the love of Christ also. And we as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, ought to be willing to share this love. This love ought to be something that just is pouring out of us naturally. We have to be willing to serve others with love and acceptance, regardless of their social status. Then John says something that, we must, that must have been festering in his heart and mind. So let's read about it, continuing in verse 38. John, says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of my name, since you belong to the Messiah, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. John and some of the disciples had been seeing someone drive out demons in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Apparently, this really bothered him. Apparently, this was something that just was really, really irked them. And why? Because they'd never seen him before. They never had, they hadn't seen him. They didn't know who he was. He was just some stranger. I mean, it, you would think that um, the disciples would have recognized most of the people that were following them. But here you have this person who was now driving out demons who had never heard of it, heard of them. Well, he had, he had never heard of them about them, and, and now they were trying to stop him as a result. Apparently, this bothered them so much that they tried to stop him because no one, I'm sorry, because, yeah, because no one knew who they were. Now, there seems to be a couple things happening here. John was clearly expressing an attitude of exclusivism, and he was also diverting Jesus' attention from the embarrassing discussion that was already going on. Come on in. If you remember earlier, the disciples couldn't drive out a demon from a boy. Last week it was it was a the chapter we covered. This man came with this young boy who had a demon, who was demon-possessed, and they couldn't drive out this demon. So now it seems like John is just trying to divert the attention, the discussion, from that embarrassing moment. Now, in my opinion, I don't think John expected Jesus to respond the way he did. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, don't stop him. And then he explains why. The key to his explanation is found in verse 40. For whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus wanted them to understand this, this wasn't, about that. It wasn't about who was performing the miracle, but rather the name by which that miracle was being made under. It's unknown what that person's motives were. We don't know. We're not given that information in the scripture here. We don't know what the motive was. But regardless, he was driving out demons by the name of Jesus, and the demons were terrified enough to flee. What what is clear, as Jesus said, one cannot perform a mighty work in his name and then speak evil of him. He then turns his attention and and his focus back on the issue of servanthood by telling his disciples that there is a heavenly reward for those who serve them by His name. Again, reiterating what that first secret that I mentioned—that what makes a person great in the kingdom of God. As believers, these four instru- these four verses are instrumental in teaching us these three concepts. There isn't a single institution, Christian institution, denomination or church that ought to claim exclusive rights to the use of Jesus' name. The church is the body of Christ made up of all believers, of all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You will never hear me be here or stand here and say, Fresh Vision Church is the only way, is the only church, and that you have to come here in order to be saved. Any church that does that, doesn't have that right to to claim that. The church is made up of all believers that have given their life to Him. This is what Colossians 3.11 says about the unity we share as believers. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all And in all. The second concept that we hear, that we see in this verse that Jesus teaches, is those who aren't against Jesus are for Him. Again, even if you don't all attend the same church or share the same denomination, if we aren't, if that person, if we, that church or denomination or that person isn't against Jesus, they're for Him. If someone believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then that same blood that covers them also covers me as well, also covers you as well. Jesus prayed this about about us, about his believers that were to come the night before he died. He said, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. And in the third concept, as much as you're willing to give, be just as open to receive from others who are doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Each believer has been given a specific spiritual gift by God meant to be used to serve one another. If a believer has a gift of hospitality, if a believer has the gift of giving, allow them to use that gift to bless you. In other words, don't refuse someone who's been called to bless you with their, a lot of, with their spiritual gift. A lot of times, you know, we have someone, someone may come and approach us that we know is a Christian and says, Here, let me do this for Let me give you a right here. Let me, let me give you this. I have this extra Albertsons gift card. let me... and." you know, in our, almost in our humbleness, we say, oh, no, I'm good, thanks, you know, give to somebody else. But that person may just be wanting to share it with you to bless you. That person may have been called by God to say, hey, you know what, bless that person with that card, bless that person with a hug, bless that person with just a prayer. Don't refuse that person. You know, again, we see here in in the passage that we have rewards in heaven for doing these things. And when you refuse that person, you're essentially saying, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want you to have that reward waiting for you in heaven. We have to be willing. We have to be open. To be willing, open just as much to receive as it is to give. Okay, so while he's saying all this, Jesus is still holding his child in his arms. He still has his child in his arms. And in the remaining verses, he refocuses his attention the attention of the disciples to this child to illustrate some additional principles. Read along with me as I finish, start in verse 42 and I finish the, uh, the passage here. But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone to, if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It is better for you to enter maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell, the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two feet and be thrown into hell, the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes your downfall, Gouge it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you make it salty? Have salt among, among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Verses 41 and 42 are instructions concerning offending others. And here's where we find the second secret to greatness. With this child in his arms, Jesus wants him to understand that a truly great person handles, handles others with sensitivity. The term little ones in verse 42 was an affectionate label Jesus used to refer to anyone who follows him, whether, whether they were young young. Or whether they were old Now it's quite possible that the rebuke by John and the other disciples offended that man that was driving out that demon, that, driving out those demons. So what Jesus wanted them to understand was that, was the severity behind causing someone to stumble when they are offended by something, by something that is said or done? Now, you and I. We have this responsibility not to use our personal freedoms to cause someone else to stumble. All of us, we've all been given certain freedoms. We've all been given, you know, also just what may convict one person, may not convict another. another. I, I remember having a conversation with a brother of mine about music. And I was sharing a story about, um, how I, you know, how I thought that um, that a certain musician, a certain gu- guitarist, was great, and how I just loved the way he he played his guitar and the the rhythm that came and the sounds that came from his guitar. Before this brother, it reminded him when I mentioned the name of this of this band, it reminded him of his days when he was in the world, when he was always drunk, when he was always high, when he was always, you know, just, it, it never, it didn't bring him any good memories. And then I realized, again, I, I remember this passage, and I realized, again, I have to be careful with what I say and what I, what I do, because, for one person, you know, what maybe, may I, I may have the freedom to do or listen to or watch, may not be the same for somebody else. And as a Christian, I have to be aware that there's a responsible, I have to be responsible with those personal freedoms. Whatever those personal freedoms are, whether it's music, movies, eating or drinking, if you're not convicted by them, don't assume to impose that liberty on others. Now, I personally, I, I used to be an alcoholic. I was a bad alcoholic. I had a bad issue with it. Now, I do respect, I do like the fact when I'm around others and they're drinking, hey, um, you know, do you mind, does it bother you? And it, it doesn't necessarily bother me because I'm, I'm over it, I've overcome it. I know there's certain times, yeah, you know, I'm weak to it, but again, I know where I get my strength. And I know that, and I remember and I realize that if I was to go back to that lifestyle, man, it would be the end of me. But others don't, may not feel that way. Others may not, may, may be totally stumbled if they see you drinking in front of them. Again, keep that in mind. Don't impose, don't assume to impose your liberties on others. Now Paul writes this ex- about this extensively, about these personal freedoms and liberties in First Corinthians chapter 8. If you want more information if you want to read more about it. And there he's talking about meats. Meets that were offered to idols. But it's the same concept. We have to be aware. We have to be careful. If you really want it, if you want to be truly great, be aware of those weaker, of those weaker in faith around you by not flaunting your liberties if it might cause them to stumble. As he continues, as he continues on, we're given the third secret to greatness. Jesus instructs them out of the, on the necessity of dealing radically with the sins of one's own life if they truly desire to be great in the kingdom of God. It's important to keep in mind that when we read passages like this, when we read passages like verses 43 and 47, that Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. He's not saying literal, to literally cut your eye out, gouge your eye out to cut off your arm or cut off, cut off your, your, your foot. The disciples clearly understood this. Again, during this time, it was very often, and still in certain Middle East countries, it's very common to use um, strong hyperbolic, hyperbolic language to teach them about battling, well, to, te- to make a certain point. He was using strong imagery. He was using strong language, almost an exaggeration to teach them about battling sinful behavior. Now the problem with taking Jesus' words literally here is that bodily mutilation does not go far enough with controlling sin. Back in chapter 7, Jesus had already pointed out that sin originates from within the heart. So in all reality... Literally removing a hand or a foot or an eye would not Im- would not remove the sin from one's heart or mind. You cut off one hand, you're still going to have the right hand, you're still going to have the left hand to sin. You gouge out one eye, you're still going to have that other eye to see, you know, to see things that are going to cause you to sin. If you cut off one foot, you could use crutches to go back into the bar or go back into... You know, whatever area in life you're going to, that sin is still going to be there. Jesus, again, is making the point that it's about what's in the heart. What Jesus wanted to convey was the extreme measures that must be taken to avoid sin, which may entail costly sacrifices. If you're doing something that's causing you or others to sin, stop doing it. I know it sounds easy, but if it's causing you or others to sin, stop doing it. If you're going to places that you know are causing you to sin, stop going there. And I know, I know sometimes these places, these things may be hard to get rid of. Especially if it's a habit and you've been doing it for years and years and years. And these, again, these are the sacrifices that Jesus is asking you to make. Just give it up. If you're visually exposing yourself, if what you're visually visually exposing yourself is causing you to sin, either remove yourself completely from it or just get rid of that object. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you, hey, you know, get rid of your television, get rid of your computer, get rid of you know your phone. I mean it's that's up to you. Really, if if it's if it's either one of those things, then you know what it is. You know what's causing you to sin. Remove yourself from it. Or remove your you know, the object completely from you. Why? Why should you do that? Because Jesus says three times that it would be better for you to make those extreme sacrifices than to be thrown in hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In ancient Israel, there was this place called the Valley of Hinnom that was located just outside Jerusalem's walls. It was where trash and refuse was deposited and burned. Now, part, the part that was not on fire was usually infested with worms. So when Jesus spoke of hell, he used this place as a graphic representation of where the damned would spend eternity. Also in Revelation chapter 20, verses 13 to 15, we see that this place is called the Lake of Fire that was originally created for the devil and his angels. The message of Jesus was clear. Knowing how terrible hell is, is it worth any sacrifice to avoid? Therefore, we cannot... It is, I'm sorry. Knowing how terrible hell is, hell is. it is worth any sacrifice to, avert, to avoid. Therefore, we cannot think of the kingdom of God just in the context of reward. We must also think in terms of personal sacrifice. Then Jesus ends by sharing the fourth secret to greatness. Now there are many interpretations when it comes to verses 49 and forty and 50. But this is the interpretation that Best, I, I think best satisfies what's going on here, the full context of, of Jesus' message here. He tells them that the secret to greatness is to live with men peaceably, with all men peaceably. The fire that Jesus is referring to is a refining and purifying that takes place as his followers are persecuted by the unsalted world. In the same account, in Matthew's account of the this, of, of this story here, Jesus says, "You are the sight of the world. You are the salt of the world. As Christians, your saltiness will attract opposition. But you must nevertheless maintain that unique flavor that comes with being seasoned with salt. For example, those countercultural values and positive influence in, in the world. That's what makes you seasoned. That's what makes you salty. That's what makes you different than the unsalted world. It makes you taste better. It makes you, it just does a certain thing within you. And again, people will see that and they will, they're not, not going to like it. Though you can expect antagonism, ridicule, ridicule, and persecution, you must be at peace with one another. And the only way to have peace is to have Jesus Christ, the hope, the glory within you. Our passage this morning began with the question that the disciples had been arguing about. Who is the greatest and as Jesus held this child in his arms he gave these prerequisites if anyone to if anyone desires to be great in the kingdom of God they must put others before themselves and be willing to be a servant of all they must treat others with sensitivity they must be willing to deal with personal sin radically and they must live with all men peaceably. Now I want to clarify that these aren't pre- prerequisites to be saved. If they were, we'd never make it. We'd never be able to, to, to do all these things 100% correctly to be saved. No, through the Holy Spirit living within every believer, these are not requirements for salvation, but for greatness. Now in one week, in one week from today, the world will celebrate the birth of the greatest person who ever lived. Amen. He emulated and exemplified what greatness, says, what greatness is and what it looks like. He was born over 2,000 years ago for one purpose and one purpose alone. And it says in First 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you're, and you may be familiar with this verse also, but it says in John 3:16, "For God so loved the world, in, for God loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life." The birth of Jesus Christ is significant because it fulfilled the promise of God that a Savior would be born to save His people from sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God gave us the greatest Christmas present He could ever give. He gave us His Son. The question is have you accepted it? If not, are you willing to accept that free gift today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that there is uh, some challenges when it comes to our walks as being Christians. And we ask you right now, Lord, just to give us the strength we need in order to be great in, the kingdom of, in, the kingdom of, in, in your kingdom, God. We don't have the strength in and of ourselves. And we ask you to fill us, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit just to be able to walk every day, to be able to just deal with the punches from the world, Lord. Lord, you've, you sacrifice so much for us. God, you gave your son to die for us, Lord. He hung on that cross and all our sins were laid upon him, Lord. And words cannot simply or adequately say what, how thankful we are for we ask and we pray, help us get rid of these things that keep us from having a proper and good and loving relationship with you. Help us to focus on your word, help us to focus on you and your love. May we just have a heart of accepting others. May we deal with others with sensitivity, Lord. May we see what things we need to get rid of, Lord, in our lives. Those things that we need to cut off. In order to follow you order to follow you more effectively, in order to follow you more lovingly, and give us the wisdom, Lord. And if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube and you've never accepted, or you're sitting here you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day In the quietness of your heart, just pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry. And I'm asking, begging for you to forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. ask that you fill me Lord. fill me with your Holy Spirit thank you Lord thank you for forgiving me and thank you for taking the punishment for my sins use me to do from now on to do your will fill me with your Holy Spirit I, and may I live the rest of my life for you. Lord, I pray that if anyone prayed that prayer, that you just, you empower them, Lord. And fill them with your Holy Spirit. Guide them as they, can, as they begin their walk as new Christians. thank you for this time thank you for this day and as we continue on Lord I just pray that we just use this time as, as, as a time of fellowship as a time to edify one another as a time to praise you and, and be thankful and, and in thankfulness for what you've done Lord bless the food we're about to eat and just bless this time together thank you again for sending Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago to die for us. We love you and we praise you with all our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.